So we're going to jump in some more with our generosity series. And uh, I'll never forget going to something on my bucket list, going to the NFL Hall of Fame. Anybody know where that is? Canton, Ohio. Some of you sinners don't know about football. I'm sorry, but some of us know about this. It's been part of our life since we were a child. But I'll never forget going to that. It was a ah moment. It was unbelievable to go and participate in that. It was awesome to be at a Hall of Fame. Did you know Idaho has a Hall of Fame? You can probably guess what it is. It's the Potato Hall of Fame. (laughs) Sam, Pennsylvania has a Hall of Fame. It's the Robot Hall of Fame. So if you know someone from Pennsylvania and they seem a little stiff, no, that's not. Rochester, New York hosts the National Toy Hall of Fame. And this one I found interesting. Chattanooga, Tennessee has the International Towing and Recovery Hall of Fame. Who knew there was a Hall of Fame for tow trucks? I did not know that. But to be included in any Hall of Fame, you've got to be the best of the best. And I want to tell you, the, the Bible has a hall of fame. We know it as the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And you have to be the best of the best to make it into the hall of faith. Well, why, Lamar, when you're, going to, when you're talking about generosity, are you going to take a little turn and talk about faith? It's because of this. I believe that a lack of faith is one of the main reasons people struggle with biblical generosity. It's a faith issue. I don't think it's an income issue. I don't think it's a culture issue. Fill in the blank. I think it is a faith issue. And that's very different. And we know that word for faith. And we we know that word for believe. And and we know from Galatians how we like the word trust to be part of that. And so let's continue continue, uh, and think about today one of the best of the best. And that's Abraham. So we're going to spend a little time in faith. And then we'll come back to a couple other passages as we think about it. But listen to Hebrews 11.8. It says this. This is the hall of faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. You, you, You see, I think it's very clear. Abraham models something for us so important, and it's this. To have faith in God and also obedience in him. What a model, what a picture he does for us. I think these are imperatives. And Abraham lived this out. To have faith in God and obedience to him. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would open our hearts this morning and our ears, our minds, that your words would be spoken, not mine. We thank you for the word of God, for the Bible. It is so rich and... Everything in life, we can go to your word to see how you would like us to move. And we are reminded, even right now, how important faith in you is, coupled with obedience to what you're asking us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's just spend a little time in faith. Two things. First one is this. Number one, faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. So I would ask the question, okay, Lamar, how, so how important is faith? If you want to talk about faith, well, back in Hebrews 11, verse 6 this time, we see something very interesting. This is a very clear verse, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him 
must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith pleases God. You see, biblical stewardship calls us, the, the very idea of biblical stewardship calls us to be people of faith. We're not people of chance, we're not people of neglect, but we're people of faith. And the principle this week is, stay with me for a minute, here's the principle. Honor God with at least the first 10% to the local church. Now let me give you my disclaimer before you come up here and talk to me or send me an email or whatever. I realize there are differing views on tithing on Old Testament and New Testament. So I'd ask you to have an open heart to my interpretation of Scripture. This is not a hill on which to die. This is not something that we break fellowship over. But I would ask that you would consider that because I know there are people out there that want to talk about being under grace and New Testament giving. You know what's peculiar? Most people that I run into that want to talk about New Testament giving, I'm not sure they even made it to the tithe. Ooh. Because if they look at New Testament giving, it's a lot, lot more than that. So don't walk out, okay? Lock the doors. We don't want anyone to go out yet, all right? Okay, just, just listen to what I have to say and ask God to speak to your heart, to your family's heart. But my big idea is this, honor God with at least the first 10% to the local church. 10% of what, Lamar? 10% of it all, all the resources that God has given you, all the resources that God is giving you and will give you in the future. Yes, money is part of that, but there's a lot of other resources that are part of that as well. Well, let's get back to Abraham. Whew, I feel better now that I gave that disclaimer. Okay. Abraham was known by his faith. He made Hebrews 11. In fact, there's more verses about Abraham and Sarah in, in Hebrews 11 than any of the other characters that are there. He, he had faith in God and obeyed. He did it when God told him to leave where he lived. Remember that? Even when he did not know where he was going. He did it when God told him, do you remember this story? When God told him he was going to have a child at 100 years of age. He finally came around and had faith in that. He did it. This is the one that blows my mind. Abraham had faith and obedience even when God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Do you remember that? Wow, what a picture. Another principle for us to think about today is this. Our faith should not be in money, but we should follow the example of Abraham. It should, our faith should be in God alone. God alone. And like Abraham, if we are people of faith, did you know we are friends with God? James chapter 2, verse 23. There's a great song that's been out for years. I am a friend of God. I love that song because I get to be a friend of God. That does not trivialize or minimize God, the creator of the universe, but it shows us the relationship he wants to have with us if we are people of faith. Wow. Faith believes that God is who he says he is and that God can do what he says he can do. Do you believe it? You'll never get the picture of biblical gen uh, generosity and stewardship unless you can get the picture that God can do what he says he can do. He is faithful. He is the picture of faithfulness for us. This kind of faith is vital to biblical stewardship, I believe. Undoubtedly, faith pleases God. That's the first little point. Here's the second one. Faith gives to God at least the first 10% of everything. Let's go to Genesis 
14. We're going to be in Genesis and Malachi mainly today. Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 24. It's not a passage you read every day, but it's one we definitely need to look at it. Let's think about it. After Abram returned from defeating, I can't pronounce this guy's name, so if you want to, you want to shout it out, that's great. This guy with a big name and all the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to the God Most High. Do you see that? And he blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and give praise to God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And look at this peculiar phrase. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but take the possessions for yourself. Okay? Don't wipe us out totally, but, but, but take this. But it's interesting what Abram said. Verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to you, so you can never say I made Abram rich. I will take nothing except what the servants have eaten. But as for the share of the men who came with me, Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre, they can take their share. So here in this peculiar passage, what we see is Abraham introducing the first 10% principle. It's the principle we call the tithe. You've heard of it, right? I know the story directly of a young preacher boy who I know personally that one of his first sermons he preached was out of Malachi. And he said, turn in your Bibles to Malachi and we're going to talk about the tithe. <laughs> Hopefully you know more about that than that young preacher boy did. We call it the tithe. It's very important to know something. And this is where I want you to go with me. The tithe predated the law by hundreds and hundreds of years. Often people say this to me. They say the tithe was part of the law. And, and, and you know, this is New Testament times. There's some truth, but there's also not full truth to that because it predated the law. Okay? They would say, therefore, it's no longer relevant because we are under grace. However, I just want to remind you this. The, the tithe predated the law, and it was incorporated into the law. And if we had time, we would read all these, but we don't. But let me just throw them out there for you, and we can think about these and ponder these this week. In the book of Genesis, we just read, the tithe was initiated before the law. In Leviticus, in Leviticus this part is true. The tithe was codified into, under the law. In, in Malachi, I almost said Malachi, <laughs> in Malachi, we will get to this in a moment, the tithe was restored after exile. In Matthew and Luke, the tithe is reinforced by Jesus. And I'll give you a sample, Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, some people stop there, and they miss the last phrase of that verse. Listen to the last phrase of that verse. Jesus is not throwing this out in favor of this or putting this in in favor of this. He says this, these things should have been done without neglecting the others. 
The others, don't neglect them. These things, all of it that he's talking about here, should have been done. Then we move to Hebrews and we see that the tithe was universalized through Melchizedek. Hebrews speaks to Melchizedek. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's get back to Genesis 14. Here's the context. Abraham has gathered a force of fighters to bring back Lot. Do you remember Lot? All the troubles that Abraham's relative Lot had. So he, he brings back a force of fighters to, to, to rescue him, so to speak. And, of course, they defeat their foes. And they take a bunch of bounty, a large haul of treasure. And on the way back, Abraham encounters what we just read in Genesis, this guy, Melchizedek. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 says about Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was a king of Salem, and catch this, and priest of God most high. I believe Melchizedek is a type of Christ. I, I believe that was a picture for us to see. To see. And, and notice what Abraham's immediate and spontaneous reaction to encountering Melchizedek was. Did you catch that? He bowed and worshiped and gave a tenth of the spoils of everything, and he would not keep any of the other spoils except what the soldiers had already eaten on the journey and what was due to other military leaders. What a beautiful picture for us to see. Now let's get a little more insight about the word tithe. Just in case it's new for you, we don't want to leave you hanging with some church term that you don't know about. Tithe, the root stem of the Hebrew word for tithe is geser, and it means, anyone want to guess? Ten. Let's go home. Wow, that was easy. I already knew that. Good. I'm glad you knew that. But that's what, don't add anything to it. That's what it means. It's part of this family of words that, that appears hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And there's no place where this word in the Old Testament or any of these relative terms means anything, it refers to anything other than ten, tenth part, or and ten. Are you getting the picture. It's clear what this means, okay? The word tithe itself appears 30 times in 27 verses in nine Old Testament books. So how much is a tithe, church? 10. 10%. 10. Good job. And here's a principle for us, though. I think we need to state this today in 2021 in the land of the United States of America. It, the tithe is not whatever I want it to be. It's not. I can choose what I want to do, right? But it is not, according to Scripture, I don't get to pick what that is. Remember this, though. Abraham worshipped, and part of that worship was giving the tithe to God. I know it's more difficult today. I'm not putting down online giving. I know we're not passing offering plates. I know we have boxes. I put our tithe check, that's what I call it, into the box this morning. And I stopped just for a second and said, thank you, Lord, because it's supposed to be an act of worship. So however you do that, just remember, whether it's written check or whether it's uh, uh, numbers on different accounts or whether it's put into an envelope and licked and stamped and sent, however you do it, take a moment and make sure it's part of worship because from the very beginning, there was the picture of that. Okay. So let me ask you this question this morning. In your life, how do you see giving? How do you see it? Do you see it as part of worship? 
you see it as honoring God with, for some of us, the way we act, perhaps the most important part of our life. Let me share a few things, a picture of what happens. When we tithe, we show, I think these are in your sermon notes, number one, that we are putting God first. Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. I love the last half of verse 23, paraphrased in this way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Very interesting. So not, when we tithe, not only do we show that, but we also show that we are setting our heart right. Matthew 6, 21, Sermon on the Mount, you know this verse. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And also we're showing a life to be blessed by the Lord. We don't preach prosperity gospel. We are not health and wealth. We don't say, you give this, you get this, you give this, you get this, you do this, you get... No, we don't, we don't preach that. However, it is evident how God blesses his people through their generosity. So we'll look at Malachi 3.10. We'll look at Malachi in a moment. Here's what I want you to see here. A principle. Tithing is a visible expression of our trust in the invisible God. One day hasn't come yet, has it? We don't see him face to face. <clears throat> He's invisible, but is a visible expression. All right, let's get to point number three. Here we go. Let's jump in. Are you ready? The tithe goes to the local church. Stay with me. Stay with me. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> the average American is a problem. Let me give you a few stats. And these are not up to the last minute stats. They're probably worse now. But did you know the average American spends annually? The average American, I didn't say family, American. The average spends $3,145 dining out. Well, I don't. Okay, you're not. You're below average. I'm sorry, all right? But that's the average. The average American spends, except probably during the pandemic, $2,913 on entertainment, whatever that is. Football? Amen? Okay. Uh, $1,680 on dogs annually. $1,116 annually on cats. Don't hate. Don't, I'm just giving you, you dog lovers and cat, in fact, cat lovers, you have a right to be mad. You're not spending enough on your cat compared to those dog lovers. But Houston, we have a problem. You start adding these things up, it's quite interesting. This same survey that was done goes on to reveal this about Americans. The average American uh, will spend at least 10% of income, 10%, tithe, right, on vacations, with 25% of Americans reporting spending 15% or more. Wow. Here's the principle. We give time to what we deem is important. Lynn and I are figuring out ways of seeing our grandkids. It's going to take some time and some money. Do, do you know why we are doing that? We deem that as important in our lives. So we deem time and what we, we give time to is what is important. And the, same, the other side of the coin is this. We spend money on what we truly value. Right? I hope you do. I hope you're not just spending money on whatever, but on what you value. Furthermore, here's another problem. Houston, we have another problem, and it's this. 
We are making more in the United States of America and giving less. We touched on this last week, but I want to share it again. I want to share it with you a stat that hit me, boom, right in the head, and it's this. During the depth of the Great Depression, you remember the Great Depression? You, you weren't living then, were you? Why are you raising Oh, we've studied about it, right? But I remember relatives who lived through the Great Depression. Do you? It affected everything in their life, right? We could say miserly almost, at least some of my relatives, right? Because they knew what had happened. Here's the amazing stat. During the depth of the Great Depression, Americans, are you ready for this? Gave 3.2% of their disposable incomes to the church. You may think, well, that's not very good. I think during the depth of the Great Depression, this is Americans in general. This is taking the zero percenters and everything, 3.2. Guess what happens today? Americans now only give 2.1% of their disposable incomes to the church. There is a theological term for this. Ouch. Think about it for a minute. What an indictment on us. We think, right, our generations, we think we have it all together, but do we really? Look at that hardship that had gone on and look what had happened. You see, here's what I think. Here's the truth for us. We don't have a lack of income as much as we have a lack of discernment in how we spend it. Let's read Malachi 3, 7 through 12. If I can get to the right page. Since the days of your fathers, you have, this is God talking, since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, exclamation point. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of 10% and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your ground and your, your vine in your field will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. Catch verse 12. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Did you catch Lord of hosts over and over? God is speaking strongly and directly to the folks here. Now let's get a little context here. Okay. Malachi, prophet of God, right? The prophet of God, Malachi, is painting a dire picture here for Israel. They're not in exile anymore. The people have returned from captivity. In fact, the temple had been rebuilt. It appeared that life had gone back to normal. Have you ever heard that phrase before? If I had a dollar for every time someone told me, I can't wait till things get back to normal. Are you sure you want them to get back to normal? They're not going to get back to normal. They're going to get back to a new normal. But these folks, man, they thought, it is good. We're not in exile anymore. We've got the temple fixed. Life is back to more normal, and it is good. But God revealed to Malachi that he rebuked them. Four things. Listen closely. Here's four things in that passage that God rebukes them about 
Or why, why does he rebuke them? Because, number one, they don't love him with a pure heart, if you read the entire text. They don't love him with a pure heart. Number two, they don't offer him their best. They give what we would call leftovers. Hmm. Number three, he rebukes them because they have profaned his name and his house. And the final one just covers it all. They're rebuked because they do not honor him. Can I give you some good news this morning? It does not have to be that way for us. Amen. Have some of you experienced that in your life? It doesn't have to be that way. We can have that relationship with God. We can have the blessing of God. James 2, we can even be a friend of God. Isn't that awesome to think about? If we choose faith and we choose to follow God wholeheartedly and obey what he is telling us to do, it does not have to be this way. You see, God, I think, is calling us to four actions in this passage of Scripture. I tried to emphasize them as I was reading them. There's four imperatives here, imperative verbs. What does that mean? When you hear preachers say imperative, it's talking about they are denoting a command or an order. Remember when your kids were little? Maybe they are now. Do you ever give an imperative to your kids? You're talking to them at some point. It's like, go now. There's an imperative, right? Okay. Yes, we do that. And so here in Scripture, God is giving these four. I, I don't think there's any room for discussion or questions, although I am free to answer questions and discuss with you whatever you would like to do. But let's look at them quickly as we wrap it up. Four imperatives. Number one is the word return in verse 7. God is calling us just like he called his people then. He's calling us to return to him. And what's the promise? What did we just read? If we return to him, what does he do? He, yes, he returns to us. There's good news today for your life. God is calling you to return to him, and he will return to you. Isn't that exciting? James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. It's, it's there. It's not a one-way street. This is not some idol or some wooden or metal statue up on a shelf or put out in front of the church building. No, this is Almighty God, the Lord of hosts, who is alive and well, who's conquered sin and the grave and death and Satan because on the third day Jesus rose from the dead and conquered all that. We serve a risen Savior, and his name is Jesus. Wow. It doesn't have to be that way. We return to God. He returns to us. Thank you, God, for not being a statue. Thank you, God, that I was taught and you revealed yourself to me who you really are instead of some little thing I would wear around my neck. No offense if you're wearing a cross. It's okay. You know, or some little thing I would keep in my pocket or a little relic here or there. That's a whole nother sermon. Number two, imperative number two. We find in verses 8 through 10, we see this broken out. It's the word bring. It's a command. It's an order. Bring. The command emphasizes bringing everything to him. Stay with me. This is where God customizes messages. Do you need to bring your future to God today? Do you need to bring your family to God today? 
Some of those resonate with us in different ways, right? Do you need to bring your career to God today? Do you need to bring your money to God today? Do you need to bring your body to God today? Do you need in your mind to bring your desires to God today? And anything else you can think of, the command is bring it all to me, says the Lord of hosts. You see, God accuses people of robbing him of their love, of their best, of their all. It's interesting to note, though, he addresses, of all those things, one thing specifically. You have robbed me by not giving to me the first 10% of all I have given to you and also have robbed me of contributions above the first 10% of everything. Remember we talked last week, God owns it all. We own absolutely nothing. Yes. And he says again here, hey, you're robbing me of what I've already given to you. You see, we're to bring to God the full tithe. That means the whole 10% of everything God gives us. Some of you are not going to like this. I think that includes our salary, our benefits, our bonuses, our blessings. If God blesses us and we are provided with something, I think we should tithe off of that. Just say, oh, good, that's not part of my salary. Okay. Whatever God entrusts you, whatever it is, give the whole, the entire first 10% of all he gives to you. This is not negotiable. And part of that bring, that second imperative is this, bring to the storehouse, which I believe is the local church. Now I'm going to talk fast, stay with me. We could spend a lot of time on this. Storehouse, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, it is the place where God's people assembled for worship. Exodus 23, 19. Bring the best of the first fruits. That's another name that God uses. Bring the best of the first fruits of your land to where? To your neighbor? No. To the house of the Lord your God. You see, the storehouse then was attached to the temple. It was the place where God's glory dwelt. In synthesizing the Old and the New Testaments, the church, which is the bride of Christ, which is his glory, is the place where his gifts are to be brought. The house of God is where worship occurs. It's clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And people are offering themselves and their best to God to honor the Lord of glory. To underwrite ministry. Ministry of just whatever? No, the Lord's ministry. In the Old Testament, it was the ministry of the priests and to provide, if you'll read in the Old Testament, for the widows, for others who were impoverished in the land. You can read on and on about that. The, the Old Testament talks about so much things. We can even get to the year of Jubilee and what they had to do with their fields and everything. God is clear here. But in the Old Testament, storehouse is what? A place where God's people assembled for worship. The New Testament analogy, I believe, is this. What's the storehouse? This is what I believe. It's the place where God's people assembled for worship. Wait, that sounds the same, doesn't it? It does. But here's the difference about the New Testament church. They sold their possessions as needed. They sold their property as needed. And they brought it to the apostles. Now, who are the apostles? Don't go crazy. These are the leaders of what? This newly birthed church of which we are the recipient of today. And so they bring, they sell this stuff and they bring it. And it was at the church where they distributed to others who had need. These amounts were brought to the church. Why? Why? So gospel ministry and gospel advance would take place. Did you ever think about Billy Graham for a moment? 
Did you ever think of the tens and tens of millions of dollars that went to the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and still today? How did he get on TV that many times? How did he get in all those stadiums that many times? Because people loved him? Money. They had to pay to get on TV. They had to pay for those stadiums. So let's just be clear, uh, all the way back, all throughout time, when we give, it's for gospel witness and gospel advance. I hope it is. I hope it is, or we might be wasting that a little bit. You see, here's the principle. I don't believe it is up to me where to give the first 10% of my income. That's a belief that I have, that I strongly believe. I believe it is to be given to the local church, the storehouse where I worship with God's people. Again, I'm not getting a lot of amens, so we'll move on. Imperative number three, verse 10, test. Isn't that crazy? The Lord actually, the Lord of hosts says, test. I'm sure he did it in a much more Charlton Heston or someone voice than I have. Test me, all right? What does this imperative mean? Literally, if you'll study it, it means test now, right now. It's only here in Malachi where we are told to test me. God says that. What does that mean? It means to prove God is who he says he is. It's to prove God is really faithful to us and his promises are true and we do this with the tithe. Now let me give you a quick illustration from my life. Have you ever heard of the envelope system? Praise God, when I, I got to, I had to raise my own money, so I got a paper route. Some of you, newspaper, you younger folks, it's a thing we used to get delivered to the house. And in the old days, boys and girls would go on their bike and have, you, you watch one of those old movies where they actually throw a, 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 a paper wadded up with the rubber band around. You know what I'm talking about? Now, now, the young folks in here are going, mm, and the old folks go, yeah. Well, I had that job. They paid me to go to certain streets in Alamogordo and throw. Uh, one time I broke something. I threw it so hard. But nevertheless, you, some of you, anybody a paper boy or a paper girl in here? You're too, you're too young. All right. Wow. Okay. Good. And then it became more corporate, and, and uh, bigger groups would do that, and they would have different ways of delivering and all that kind of stuff. But at one time... I was a paper boy and also worked as a church janitor. And so my crazy mix-up family, I've told you a little bit about what a mess it was and can still be today, the dysfunction and everything. But in a, in a stroke of God's leadership in our family's life, my parents introduced me to the envelope system. And I had a series of envelopes and say I made 20 bucks. Envelope was... Offering to the church, right? Guess how much of that 20 I put in there? $2. Two, two, wow, $2. Someone's listening. All right. And then there was other things. Now, this may sound extreme. Kids, do not get mad at me. I even had an envelope to help with the family affairs to teach me that utilities were involved and other things were involved. And so I had all these different envelopes. And, of course, there was one, I, even to buy myself clothes and stuff like that. And... Uh, there was one envelope left when you got done with everything. And there was a certain amount that went in for entertainment. So I don't know how well I've done with all the other envelopes over the years. But that one giving to the church, as soon as you got your 20 bucks, that went in there, has stuck with me. So I, I learned early this principle. Are you ready? Here's a principle for you. Living on 90% or less 
will go further than trying to live on 100% of it when you disobey God. If you're living on 100%, I'm just the messenger, but you're disobeying God. And it has been proven from the time I was a little boy throughout our marriage, uh, four boys, all with master's degrees and above, college, moving, including this move we're getting ready to do now. I don't know how it works, but God continues to bless us. Amen. And it, you rub the nickel and it goes far. I, it's just, I see your head shaking, so many of you know what we're talking about there. Living on 90% or less, it's going to go further than trying to live with 100%. You see, the first 10% means the best that we have. Remember the indictment? You're giving me your leftovers. So I would go a little further. Write that check or however you do it up. Don't wait till the end of the month. Try to do it. Well, actually in church, we prefer people do it each Sunday of the month. So <laughs> offerings are not like this, but you get the idea. Have it set aside on what you're going to do before the world and all the bills and everything come at us and the car breaks down or the washer goes out or whatever. Have it done before. Okay, we're almost done. Last imperative and we're done. It's the word see. We miss that word, but it's in verse 10. Did you catch it? God says, see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, us Baptists, we're careful, we're careful with this verse because we don't want to get lumped in with some of those TV preachers that will never read a verse of Scripture in all their sermons except one like this verse. Why? Give, 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 okay? But we can't throw this verse out. It's in Scripture. So there is, he's saying to them, pour out a blessing for you without measure. And I think that means more than just finances. The phrase floodgates of heaven or windows of heaven, it's an interesting term. Have you ever noticed that? You don't see it hardly at all in Scripture. But do you remember the great flood back in Genesis? It is bookended in Genesis 7:11 and in Genesis 8:2 with this phrase, the windows of heaven. Do you remember the windows of heaven were opened, right? That's how the flood happened. But at some point when the flood was over, God shut the windows or the floodgates of heaven. Why do I say that? It's just a great picture for us to see the power of God, what, what God can do. I heard it stated years ago that God owns, what, all the cattle on a thousand hills, okay? We get the idea, even in floodgates of heaven, that here's the principle. You and I cannot outgive God. Whatever I shovel out to God, he gives it back to me. And let me tell you something, church. His shovel is a lot bigger than my shovel. But Lamar, how can we be involved in this endeavor? I feel the Lord speaking to me. It's overwhelming for me. And I would admit, if you've given nothing to the Lord, it is difficult to give 10%. I want to show you something today. We are all in this together. And I want you to know, as your pastor, I never know and will never know what people give. We take that very importantly here. We are very professional. It's done correctly. We just even had an audit that went well. I'm just telling you, we are not wasting anything, and we don't know. I don't want to ever come up to, to Marty or go over to Doug and treat them differently because I know what they give. 
Okay? We're in it together, church, wherever we are. I'm going to introduce to you something I'll talk about more in the next two weeks. It's called uh, the ladder of generosity. Can we put that up on the screen? Okay, I can't read that screen, so I'll look here. Just take a look at this for a minute. We're, I just want you to think about this a little bit. Where would you be on this ladder, church? Perhaps you don't give. I'm praying that God would lead you at least to become a first-time giver. Do you see the first rung, the first step? I have not given the church. Let's go up one. Can I become an occasional giver? I give to our church, but not consistently. Maybe you're there not right now. Maybe you pay admission a little bit here and there, and you give, and it's occasionally, but not consistently. Could you step up a, a rung on the ladder to intentional? I give consistently a portion of my income to our church. Do you see that? It just says a portion. I don't know what it is. It could be 1%. It could be a dollar amount. It could be 5%. I don't know what it is. But you have got that uh, biblical discipline in your life that you are giving consistently. Maybe God is speaking to you today. You're there and it's like, okay, I need to trust God and his faithfulness and get to be a tither where I give 10% of my income to our church. Maybe a number of you are like Lynn and myself, moving beyond being a tither to what we would call extravagant generosity, giving beyond my tithe to our church. I just want you to think about where, we'll talk about this more, but where you are on the rung and just ask God, God, would you lead me and my family to move up a rung? Some of you may be convicted, you want to jump a couple of them. The picture is there because we are the church. This zip code is where God has placed us. Do you believe God has placed you here? Hello? We're here together. Lynn and I believe that. And we serve together and we want to work together and we are in this together. And we can do so much more together than we can do by ourselves. So I just wanted to show that to you. Good, it's gone. All right. But think about that. We'll talk about that more. My question today is you bringing the first 10% to God's church where you worship the Lord. This is your place. I'm not talking about other offerings or different things like that, Lottie Moon or something else. I'm just talking about that systematic giving commanded by God. I would say to you, don't miss out on the promises he gives. The promise to open the windows of heaven for you and your family. And here's another one, and I know many of you have experienced that. I've, I've experienced this. Don't miss out on the joy of seeing your gift impact others for Christ. Think about the mission endeavors around this planet. What joy that is to be a part of that. And every time we give a local church, a part of that is going to that. Not just here in New Mexico, but to the uttermost parts of the world. So I'm excited about that. Now, that latter matters not to me at all if you are not a follower of Christ. I would be so bold to say, if you are a tither or maybe even an extravagant giver, but you have not placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, you have not by faith turned to him, repented of your sin, and asked him, he is ready to do it, to save you, to cleanse you, to make you a child of the king, you can do that today. 
Because the ladder doesn't matter. That ladder should be for folks who are Christians, Christ followers. Have you done that? Have you confessed? Have you repented? Have you turned to him? Do you know? Do you have the assurance that you know that you're a child of the king? I'm going to pray right now. I'm going to pray for, for you. And for those of those, those of you who may be here or maybe online and you're pondering this, I'd basically say forget the sermon if you're not a follower of Christ. Let's pray. God, I do thank you for our time together today. It is a weighty subject with lots of words. I ask God that you would remove my words, that you would cut through them, that you would speak to our hearts today, that families would be changed, that faith and trust in you would be affirmed, and we ask for that today. And I, God, I thank you for being part of a generous people. It's not that we're not generous. It's not that we're bankrupt. It's just part of teaching the full and complete counsel of God. And sometimes that includes generosity. And so, God, thank you that we can be part of a people who are generous. And we could hear testimony after testimony, story after story of people giving, and we're grateful for that. And today, God, above all else, I want to pray for those who are contemplating, who are considering what it means to be a follower of Christ. God, I, I know today that it is you who does the work of salvation. God, I know that it is you that draw people to you. God, for by grace are we saved through faith. It's a gift from you. Even having the faith to respond to you, God, you give to us. So God, we acknowledge today that you are moving. You, it is you who are moving in hearts. It is you who are desiring to save souls. And I pray today, whether online, right here in this room, perhaps during the week or a month from now, that someone will hear this prayer and they will say, I need to turn to you, God. I'm tired of my own way. I repent of what I all of my sin and my ideas and just give my life to you. God, please save me. And if you pray that, guess what? God hears and he answers. So Lord, we are asking for people's lives to be saved, be regenerated. We're asking for more Christians who can experience life with you on the throne of their life now and also that one day seeing you face to face. So we ask for that today, God. And we thank you for those who are following you in every area of their life and are generous in every area of their life. So we're grateful for that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.